Underwriting gets a good deal of bad press, but is it justified? In the advised protection market, the consequence of price competition on term assurance and critical illness products is tighter underwriting, more medical evidence and more ratings. Online applications and teleunderwriting can help speed up the process, but clients face disappointment when they find their premium is higher than originally quoted. Is it time we change the way we quote for protection products so that we do not raise client expectations with cheap headline rates more people cannot obtain? My guest today pioneered teleunderwriting in the UK and firmly believes that we need a change. But what does good look like? Hear Andrew's views on the current relationship between quoted premium rates and the final rates we offer after underwriting. Listen to his proposed solutions on how we can change underwriting from the current, sometimes painful process to a valuable individual assessment. That's all right here in episode 20 of the Marketing Protection and Finance podcast. Hi, it's Roger Edwards here, and you're listening to the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. For each episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show and prepare to be inspired. So let's get started. And today I'm delighted to introduce my guest, and he is Andrew Getting. Andrew is founder and managing director of Morgan Ash. Before that, he was a chartered structural engineer and an entrepreneur starting several other companies, one of which was an IT specialist. In his spare time, Andrew is currently walking all the Wainwrights, that's 214 hills in the Lake District, of which he has only 22 more to do. So, Andrew, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thank you very much, Roger. Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem. And, Andrew, we've known each other for quite a number of years, and we've worked on various underwriting projects. And I think today we want to explore the world of underwriting and, and perhaps the poor image that underwriting currently has in the protection market. But before we get into that topic, let's find out a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about your background and what makes you tick. Well, what makes me tick? Um, well, I started off life as, a, as an engineer on the drawing board and then on site. I became a chartered structural engineer, so that's uh, an engineer who's um, permitted uh, to kill people in large numbers. I then went off and did an MBA. Uh, I then got involved with a, a small IT company, which was uh, extremely successful, primarily because it was during dot-com time. Uh, we ended up selling out to an American company, and I spent a year in San Francisco. San Francisco. And after that, I joined through the same sort of set of uh, entrepreneurs up here in the Northwest. I joined, uh, it was a computer games company and floated that on the stock market. And then 10 years ago, I was introduced to this insurance stuff. And basically, we looked at a process of paper forms and people applying for insurance. And then when a claim not being paid, they didn't get the right information up front and uh, the opportunity to re-engineer that uh, and make a better process. So, yeah, re-engineering stuff makes me tick. Making stuff better makes me tick. Um, I suppose I'm a pioneer, passionate about doing things good, not just for money, but 
actually doing things for a good consumer outcome. A bit of morality behind that. And so looking at Morgan Ash, which is a company you set up 10 years ago, in response to that look at the paper trail and the paper application process for insurance, so you obviously saw that as an opportunity. And, and, and what has Morgan Ash been doing over the last 10 years? It's predominantly been telephone underwriting, hasn't it? Yeah, so we're, we're known best for our tele-interviewing, tele-underwriting, and, and you know, without giving a faceless plug, that's been very successful uh, as a process. Uh, we've we've um, you know, processed about half a million applications over 10 years and had one case of non-disclosure. So we've never had a case go to the financial ombudsman service, uh, and we now you know, do it in lots of different countries. So it, that's been very successful. We've I mean, just we've branched out. We do underwriting. We do complete underwriting service for a couple of small insurance companies. We've branched out into annuities and pensions, and we do claims as well. So we, we've widened ourselves uh, out. Uh, into into a bit more of a broader brush from that point of view, but but you're right. The the, the pioneering Italians in the UK is, is what we um, really made on that. And you've got quite a few clients in the protection market, so chances are that quite a lot of advisors who are recommending protection products from quite a few companies will end up having part of the product that they're they're recommending serviced by yourselves at the point of underwriting. Yeah, so we we, we a lot a lot of the time we're white labelled to Alliance the phone as an insurance company as opposed to ourselves, so we advisors won't know that we're we're involved. Equally in the annuity space, we work direct for the advisor, so we are directly employed uh, by the advisor in the annuity space uh, and that's because there's a standard form so we can we can work for the advisor in that case which, which is interesting and I, I really like that because we are we're far nearer the the sales end of the process from that point of view uh, one of the not say problems but the characteristics of working for insurance companies doing tele-interviewing is is you're a subcontractor to an insurer, so you're a long way from the consumer. And, and it's, it's quite an interesting topic underwriting at the moment, Andrew, because all of a sudden it seems to have developed horns. It seems to me <laughs> that underwriting, if you talk to, it doesn't matter whether you talk to providers or financial advisors or, or even journalists, these days underwriting is almost seen as one of the big problems that we face in the protection industry and one of the reasons why perhaps business isn't good and I always I hear people saying the underwriting process is far too long. The underwriting process is far too harsh. The underwriting process delivers too many ratings to customers who are expecting a lower premium. Do you think it's fair that underwriting has suddenly become almost anathema in the protection industry? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Do I think it's fair? It, it's probably fair from where the performance of underwriting has been, but I do think we can change it, and I, and I, so, and I think we, we, we should change it. So, yes, absolutely, underwriting was taking too long. The, going off the medical evidence and taking weeks is, is not customer-friendly at all. But there's two parts to that. I think if you, from a consumer's point of view, it's about managing expectations, so for some people, you know, applying for a mortgage, for example, they're going to go through a process which takes several months, you know, getting a house and the mortgage and so forth. So actually a life insurance application, which takes, let's say, a few days or a few weeks, would not be out of kilter. In fact, it would be faster than the mortgage application. So there's nothing wrong. Uh, I, the issue is about the customer expectation. If the customer needs to buy a product instantly, which, you know, in this case, we would do online with automated underwriting, that's absolutely fine. But I don't think the speed is necessarily, speed is not the, the absolute necessity 
for an underwriting point of view. So now saying that, I think it should be done within days, a few days. So as opposed know, to three months. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. So and and I think you could do some very good under within a few days. So. That would be, and if the consumer is managed through that process, then that would be perfectly suitable. I think the speed is always looked on as saying it's all about speed because if we don't close the deal, you know, the customer may go elsewhere. Well, if the customer is going to go elsewhere, they're clearly not really engaged to buy the product. And surely this is a product we want them to engage with because essentially they're going to pay money for several years and you know, probably never get any benefit from it. So we need the, the whole point is the consumer's got to think, that's giving me peace of mind. That's, you know, I'm, my family is covered. I'm really glad I've got that and I trust it. And if all goes pear shipped, I'll get paid out. So to build that engagement and empathy within consumer, we need to do something. That may be at the, at the present, mar- present market, the reason it works is the IFA builds that process and, and it's, it's done through a, a, a person of the IFA who does that. If we're talking doing it you know, D2C or online or even just supporting an IFA or supporting, let's say, an agent in a bank, for example, you want that process to be engaging. So the consumer, when they sign the contract, goes, yeah, I'm really happy with this insurance company and with my advice process because I know I've, you know, I've got my peace of mind. And it's that engagement which I think we're totally losing at the moment. And we can use underwriting as part of that. Underwriting is, is basically a personal assessment. And personal assessment is good. You know, if you walk into a shop and someone says, you know, and you want to say, I want to buy a jacket, and the person says, ah, well, here's a tailor-made jacket, just your measurements. You think that's really good, as opposed to, here's a standard load of jackets, and actually, you're too fat to fit all of them. So being personalised is a very good thing. And that's what underwriting is. I think we can put underwriting to the front of the sales process and say, actually, we're making a personal assessment for you to make sure that we'll cover exactly your circumstances. Now, we don't do that because general insurance is, is written on a, an actuarial point of view, is done on a pooling, benefit, pooling basis. And we all understand the actuarial numbers behind that, and that's all very good. But the consumer doesn't see that. They don't see the benefit of it. You know, you don't see customers saying, well, I'm fine. I know I'm paying this price because actually I'm one in, you know, one in a thousand whatever will get paid out. They don't join that pool. What they see is a standard process with an individual assessment. And, and really, we want to put the individuality up front and let them know that. Now, the IFA, you know, an advisor doing that does, does do an individual assessment, does it on a finance, on the finance stuff, doesn't necessarily do it on the health. They are doing it on the health as well and, and, you know, can't give the outcome from it. I think that's where we're missing a trick. We are, at the moment, we're trying to bury uh, underwriting. And, and because it's, it's like too hard, too difficult, let's avoid it. Let's go simple. Let's avoid underwriting it altogether. And, and let's just take it out of the equation. I think that's quite interesting because I, I agree with what you're saying is that everybody wants to bury it. Everyone wants to push it under yeah. the carpet. But I think that we've created, we've created a problem for ourselves because the industry, especially in the IFA sector, is entirely price-driven. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of people would deny that that's the case, and a lot of people say advice is more than just about the price. It's about the benefits and the add-ons and all of that. But ultimately, there's a lot of pressure for an advisor to recommend the cheapest or the near cheapest product. And, yeah. and that creates 
um, problems in the industry. People have to go to reassurance companies frequently to ask for their books to be retended. There's all yeah. sorts of deals being done. And we're giving people ever cheaper rates on the comparison services, so on Iris and iPipeline and all of that. It's all about who's cheapest. The IFA will make a recommendation based upon the price and some of the other issues that I just mentioned there. But the problem is then the customer goes into the underwriting process and it's likely that because of the way the pricing has been set up by the actuarial teams, etc., that one in four of those customers, and, and worse, I've heard from some companies, one in three of those customers won't actually get the price that they applied for after the end of the underwriting process. So yeah. on the one hand, we want, to, we want to hide the underwriting process, but on the other side of the coin, we've made the underwriting process rear its ugly head when people think they're going to get a good deal. So do we actually need to rethink the front-end pricing of all of this and perhaps perhaps get more information from the customer first so that we can give them a fairer indication of what the ultimate price might be before giving them a price and then dashing their expectations a few few days, weeks, or, or months yeah. later when we've got the underwriting decision. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Certainly the, the process of giving people a standard price and then rating them and coming, you know, coming back later on with a higher price is awful. It's not fairly to the consumer. It frustrates IFAs uh, and any advisor going through it. So we really need to try and avoid that. So uh, in, in my mind, the way to do that is to speed up the underwriting process. Now, that could be automated, it could be manual, but speed it up so it's done within a day or so. So you're saying to you're saying to the consumer, or, or even put it up front, so we do a process at the moment whereby uh, they come in uh, and the first thing we do is we talk to them, we then interview them before we give them a price. So we then say, well, look, we know um, uh, from the health you've taken, given us, we, we underwrite them and we say, we think you're going to be about this price. And that'll be a rating of plus 200 or something. So we're, we're managing that expectation. We then go off to actual to the insurance companies. We get several prices and so forth. They'll come back. And at that time, the price you know, will be there or thereabouts. But we're managing the customer's expectation. So there's, in our view, there's no point giving someone price up front if it's, if it's, if it's not relative. So... Yeah, it, it, it's like saying, you know, um, pack a pack of Stella in the supermarket, you know, for a pound a can. It gets you in there. But after that, you're going to probably end up buying something else and paying a lot of money anyway. So as a means of marketing and selling to get people in, that's fine. But as a process, giving someone a standard price up front without doing any sort of assessment it is really poor. Now, there will be IFAs, good IFAs, who will, you know, effectively do, uh, you know, a mini-medical, have a chat to them and say, well, actually, I think it's going to be this sort of price and manage that expectation, and that's really good. But but the bulk of the market who doesn't do that, and you end up in this, this problem of giving prices, be them smoker rates, and you know, we used to do gender and so forth, it's just the wrong way around. And, and, and we, we need to re-engineer that so that we manage customer expectations a lot better. It's a hell of a uh, ask, though, isn't it, Andrew? Because at the moment, all the portals are effectively just giving this really cheap headline price and all the insurance companies are quite happy to give those cheap headline prices what we're really asking is for the whole infrastructure of the industry to change to gather more information at the point before we even give somebody an indication of price um, this is probably something that, that we've heard about in the industry through companies like underwrite me do you yeah. think that we'll ever change such ingrained institutionalized behavior 
I suppose my view is it doesn't work at the moment. So if we want to actually improve the market, we have to change. So, you know, saying, well, that's how the market works. I mean, I suppose this is where I'm, you know, I'm a pioneer and a, and a bit of a, a maverick in that sense is, you know, if it ain't working and if it ain't working for the various parties, then we need to fix it. And I suppose, you know, the challenge for Little Morgan Ash here is, well, how do I, how can I do that? So I can't change the whole market, but I, I can do various things incrementally maybe to take us down some of those some of those ways. But I do think we've got to move away from, you know, that process. And indeed, you know, you, you speak to the portals, their conversion conversion rate is, is appalling. The you know from a TCF point of view, the fact that people are going down that road and then not buying a product at the end of it, the conversion rates uh, you know is appalling, the customer journey is appalling. And you you know some people look at it and go, actually we'd rather not do this because as a process, as a sales process, it makes us look bad. So I do think we have to change it. I mean, I don't think we have much option in that. I think, and I think from that point of view, it will change. I think the, the more the difficult question is uh, how will it change, and, and you know, more likely that's going to be incrementally. So, so how do you think it does need to change? You've mentioned personalization and the fact that what you're really saying here is that it's not an underwriting process. It's a, it's a personally tailored quotation service that we should be promoting. So does that mean that companies need to change the way they talk about underwriting? Is it a marketing issue or is it an actuarial and finance issue or what is it that's going to stimulate this change because yeah. even though everybody admits that there's a problem nobody seems to be doing anything about it yeah well fortunately i can't change what everyone else is doing i, I do think it has to change uh, i think people will innovate and, and come to do it who's that's going to be is a good question i suppose from from our point of view you know, we look at, uh, so obviously we do tele-interviewing, that works very well. We're, we're adding in an online capability. So we'll be able to do a combined tele-interview and online service. And, and you know, my, my vision is someone, you know, 20-year-old comes online, wants simple live cover for 50 grand or whatever to cover some bit of a mortgage. They'll do that all online. They're pretty healthy. That's fine. Great. Uh, you know, they, they come on. Um, someone else comes on. They've got a uh, waiting for a smear test, which is a common one, which holds holds up um, you know, postponed cases, that they'll be able to do that online. They may want to speak to someone. If they want to speak to someone, uh, they can do. So now that may be, you know, it's a bit of a, uh, it's like a Skype call or it's a bit of a, um, uh, so it's a voice over IP phone call. It's like a more like a web chat, which is effectively instigating to a small tele-interview or web help. And that just may be a quick conversation, so nothing to worry about. Um, you know, thanks for telling us about your bunions, but actually that's not insured. But thanks for telling us that's now on your records. And, you know, if you claim about your bunions, that'll be fine. So I think there's, from our point of view, there's, there's little things like that we can do, which we'll, we'll create a far more engaging and interactive journey whereby the tele-interview component will actually be a small proportion, but it'll, it'll be able to collect that really good information. And the key bit about using, you know, these sorts of technologies and web chat and things is we're still keeping information um, in a database so that can go to the underwriter, whereas they're not just being conversations which are then just uh, hidden in some other web chat system. One of the other questions that I hear people saying is that, and certainly if you're, you're moving more to a sort of underwrite me model where they want to get as much information up front before they offer even a headline figure for the premium, is we need a standardised application form yeah. standardized questions for the industry now that sort of goes a little bit against what you've said there because I can, I can actually see some advantages in personalization at different age groups so I imagine that for a 25 year old as you've said there 
on the whole, they should be pretty healthy. So you might not need to ask as many health questions, but you're going to want to know what they're driving license history yeah. and, and yeah. whether they've got any yeah. points or anything like that whereas somebody who's in their 40s and 50s you're probably going to be a lot more interested in their Excuse recent me. health so is the model of one standard set of questions for everybody actually going to help or is that yeah. gonna, or is that going to create yeah. other problems yeah. it's interesting in, in annuities of course we, we there is a standard set of questions and it's interesting we work for the advisor there we speak to the consumer we get all the information and then we pass that to insurers and they quote on that basis. And that is certainly a lot better. So I do think we will get um, some standardisation will come in. Does it have to be a, a just one question set? I think it's probably unlikely we'll end up that route. I, th- I think the other thing is, though, you can have a question set which is not fixed. So that question set can cater for the you know the 25-year-old doing mortgage protection and is um, covers it looks like what we call a simplified application. But if they then say they've got something very wrong with them, or or you know this is actually a want some protection and a want term, whatever, whatever bit which increases the risk, it may then invoke a different you know more questions. So the question sets can become far richer and far more dynamic than presently. Equally, it can say you know here are ten questions. We can give you a price of twenty quid for your cover. Are you happy with that? If you did answer some more questions, we may be able to give you a lower price. So engagement, you can engage with the consumer on the price front and say the more effort you put into it, then, you know, the more detail you might give us, then the more we may be able to price on it. Now, you know, some actuaries main things may be you know, turning in their... Uh, in their, in their, turning in their grave hearing this sort of thing. But actually, I, I think we need to think a bit more uh, radically about it and say, rather than us controlling the process and having one fixed process for everyone or for a particular market, actually let the consumer control the process. All we need to know, and some simple basic information, then we can give them a price. Now, if they don't want to give us more detailed information, that price may be you know, quite a bit higher. But let's let the consumer choose that as opposed to us right up front before we even met the consumer. That's quite an interesting concept. I wonder whether we could ever get to the stage where we quote a higher initial premium and then say to people there are several gateways that you can pass through. You know, if yeah. you want to answer one or two killer questions, that might knock 5% of the premium off. If you want to answer the standard set of 20 health questions, that could potentially knock off another 20%. Absolutely. But at least yeah. we're, we're letting them know that this is what you'll pay if you don't go through all of these gateways rather than offering them something really cheap and then disappointing them later on. Yeah, and, and I think that's... That engaging journey, and it'd be really interesting to do some of this because, you know, these are ideas as opposed to, um, yeah, I, I've got proof these work from that point of view. But I think the engage with the consumer about the different features, you know, um, you know so many different things you buy and you buy different features. Well, okay, what, what do I need to do uh, to do that? The present processes is all about you go to the consumer and the consumer gives, 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 and then at the end it says someone will phone you in two days' time or, you know, you'll get a letter. It's a real, it's it's very strange. Most conversation and interactions are two-way processes. You know, one side gives information, the other side gives it back, and that's how we normally engage. And one which is just purely give, 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 nothing back is actually very alien to us. So, you know, people give all this information and then, you know, okay, well, that, um, am I really going to trust this company? So engaging with them about this stuff, and, and, you know, let's face it, people prefer to speak about their health than they do about their finances. And yet we as an industry, because we're all finance people, we try to talk all about finances and then we don't talk about their health. So it's a bit, it's a bit the wrong way around, really. 
So I do think that we can use the health bit to engage with people. Most people, that's our, 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 our national greeting is how are you? It isn't how much are you worth? It's, you know, it's, it's a health greeting. So we can actually use that to engage with people, get that more information. And that may be saying, well, give us access to your Facebook and, you know, we'll mine that for information looking forward to social data. So we, we could get more information and then we can use that through various metrics to underwrite. It, it may not be everything we want from an underwriting point of view, but, you know, in, in simple terms, the more information you have, the better price estimate you can make. Given all the experience you've had in the underwriting of protection products over the last 10 years since you started Morgan Ash and obviously the, the development of the telephone underwriting system and I remember working with you when I was at uh, Bright Grey mm. in the past and some of the conversations we had again reflect what you've just been saying here that people are so much more likely to disclose information when they're in a in a, in a face-to-face or an audio conversation than they are just filling out a paper form. Given all that you know about the underwriting of protection products and what's happened in the industry over the last decade, what's the one big idea or one piece of advice you would give those people who were recommending protection products that they need to do to make the underwriting process more engaging for the consumer and less obstructive and less intrusive and, and less something that they want to bury under the carpet? How can we bring it forward and make it as positive an experience as we possibly can? I, I think it is that, it's just that consumer engagement. I think it's, it's you know, the, sort of the, the wider, you know, the behavioural um, economics and behavioural psychology stuff, which is, you know, why do people understand, you know, what, why should they engage with us? You know, this idea of reciprocity, I can't say it now. Of, of giving something back and forward and, and making a journey which is which is engaging. I think we've really got to start to think how we build that into our processes and, and we've got to do it and do it, try, and, and no doubt there'll be some failures in there. I think the lack of, you know, what amazed me, you know, when we introduced tele-interviewing 10 years ago is, you know, we won awards for it and at the end of the day, it's only a, you know, it's only a phone call by a nurse. It's, it's, it's not rocket science. And I have done rocket science. We built software for um, rockets, which, which went to the moon. So, and I'd speak to my friends in, in civil life and say, you know, this is what we do. And they go, oh, well, that's quite interesting, but it's nothing new there. And, but in insurance, it, it was, you know, it was big innovation. You know, teleinsurance is the biggest innovation, whatever, you know, was, and it's probably online now. And so that lack of innovation is something we really need to get our heads around. And, and we should celebrate trying things and, and celebrate failure. And, and as an industry, where we seem to be really against, you know, trying things and, and, and testing them out. Do you think we could ever move in the opposite direction and actually create products which require little or no underwriting? What I'm thinking about here is the um, the over 50s guaranteed oh. whole of life products. You know, they tend to be underwriting free. Obviously, the the uh, the downside is they have a one or a two year moratorium period yeah. during which if you die, you'll probably only get your premiums paid back. But they are gloriously simple to apply for is there an opposite model where we could create some term assurance products or some similar models to the over 50s plans where there may be only one or two questions um i I suppose with the what's not going to turn back is is modern technology and and access to information if anything we're going to have far more information from wearable and social media and so forth so and we're going to get to get it we can't get at that stuff at the moment but once you can, that more information allows you to do more segmentation. And I can't see it. It's like car insurance. Can you see car insurance going back to just one price for everyone? 
Uh, it's sort of once you've gone there, it's, it's really a one-way street, isn't it? Certainly, it probably went. We've been maybe a bit overboard in some of the underwriting, you know, over the years. And and I think the present route is, you know, let's go simplified and let's not do any. But I think that's running away from the problem. The winning company will be the one who does, who can segment and understand the data, uh, and underwriting and actuarial can segment that in uh, the consumer uh, and give them a good, a good engage, a good engaging journey. An engaging journey then converts to people holding the policy for a long time, low lapse rates, which you know is profitable business. So that to me is the only long term solution, and it was and, and, a, and a short term you know apply here, do it once. So I, I can see in the over fifties, someone comes out with an underwritten product in the over fifties, and you'll see that uh, start to to segment that market as well. One of the other things, Andrew, that uh, comes up time and time again in the underwriting process is the GP report. And, of course, the GP report often adds weeks onto the application process. And over the years, I've heard lots of people say, let's do away with GP reports entirely. Let's do questionnaires on specific conditions or let's move to SARS. What, yeah. what's you, what, what are your thoughts about GP reports, how they get in the way of, the, of, of a smooth application process, and what can we do to make that part of the consumer engagement better? Yeah, so uh, I suppose there's two angles to that, really. Um, first is, I think GPs, at the end of the day, they serve their patients. That, that medical world's going to be enough for people itself. They're, they're not motivated uh, to work particularly well with us, so it's always going to be difficult. So, so we've spent a lot of time with the interviewing. I've got customers who do income protection, uh, and they don't collect any GPRs at all. They rely purely on the interview. So our first port of call is actually you can collect all the information you need to do without using a GPR. So that's the first thing. The second one is then saying, okay, having said that, people still want to do that GPRs, and they are appropriate in some circumstances. So we're doing some work on an electronic process to do that, and I think over time, uh, well, hopefully we'll be successful in that but we will move to uh, a world where a lot of that data can collect electronically and then that can be speeded up so you can see a process whereby you can access that information electronically you can auto you can underwrite it effectively collate it underwrite it uh, electronically uh, with the right permissions obtained for data protection and stuff and that will move us into a quicker process so you, you may see some announcements from that um, towards the end of the end of the year from us thank you very much andrew for talking about this subject which actually is 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 quite an issue for quite a lot of people in the industry from providers and from advisors underwriting you know i've been in the industry 25 years and i can't remember a time when underwriting was ever at the top of everybody's christmas card list but i think i think what you've said today is that perhaps as an industry we're too good at giving people false expectations by giving them a really cheap headline price and now more and more people who are applying for that cheap headline price are being disappointed because after they've gone through this really quite lengthy process, they end up being rated or declined, I suppose, but a lot more people are rated. And that dashes those expectations that we've raised at the start. And I think that what you've been saying here is that underwriting really needs to become much more part of the sales process and almost needs to come forward before initial figure to the client so that they feel as if their expectations are met more. And we could perhaps promote it more as a personalized service and make it part of 
positive part of the application process as opposed to something that happens after the sale and it takes on such a negative connotation. I have no doubt that it's a massive challenge for the industry, but people like Morgan Ash, people like Underwrite Me and others are thinking about this and thinking about ways that we can almost reverse the way that we do stuff so that we give the right expectation to the customer right up front. So thanks very much for all of your insights. Before we go, I always like to finish the Empath podcast with a quick fire round of business questions. Are you happy to stay for a few more moments just to yeah. finish that off? Thanks for doing. Go on. Okay. If there's one thing that you could change about the financial services industry, you know, if somebody gave you that great big proverbial magic wand to wave, what would it be? Ah, one of my one of the sort of overriding big bugbears is is we're in financial services, but we can't measure service financially. So to be able to people to be able to measure customer service in a financial manner. If we could do that and we could really quantify a lot of these more things like trust and engagement, and at the moment we can't, hence they sort of, uh, they don't get costed and hence they, they don't get done. That's a really interesting insight. What's the one business model, product or campaign that's caught your attention in the last year? Tell us what it was and what you liked about it. I, I suppose the, the underwrite me is, is that, I, I mean, I like innovation and I like underwrite me because it, it's new and it's trying to do something different. I think some, some issues there, but I, I, you just got to hand off to people to go, and, go out and do something new. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your life and or your business. God, probably lots. Of, well, my my favourite app at the moment is, is, a, is a, a Nike Fuel Band, which I'm wearing at the moment, which has, if I just tells me how it's done, I've only done 269 units of um, fuel today, which is not very good. So, uh, which is a wearable thing, which measures your monitor, uh, monitors your activity. And that's just the latest one I've got. It's probably tons, I suppose. I'm a bit of a techie, really, at heart. <laughs> Quite a lot of us have got wearable tech on. I've got something on my wrist called a jawbone that measures my heart rate and measures the number of steps that I've taken during the day. And before we sign off, Andrew, tell everyone how they can connect with you, whether it's on Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+, and, of course, via your own website. Yeah, so uh, andrew.gething uh, at Morgan Ash or uh, LinkedIn is I'm just andrew.gething and indeed Twitter I'm andrew.gething. All of those, are, by all means, uh, drops a line. Interested in anyone who's interested in innovation and, and making protection better in any shape. One of the things that I will do, Andrew, is on, on the show notes for this page, which you'll be able to find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath, I will include all of those contact details on the page for this particular episode. So hopefully anybody who has listened to what you've had to say today and has got any ideas, particularly innovative ideas, on how we can make underwriting more palatable for consumers will hopefully get in touch with you and, and hopefully something will result from that so Andrew thanks again for talking to me today let me wish you every success for the future and I hope to catch up with you again soon thank you very much Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast, also known as the Empath Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath for links to the apps and books and topics we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a comment. 
If you are a provider, advisor or journalist and you have a product campaign or business model that you want to talk about, do please get in touch. I'd be delighted to have you as a guest on the Empath Podcast. And before we go, just to remind you that nothing that my guests and I talked about on the show is intended to be financial advice of any kind. It's just our thoughts and opinions. Okay? Thank you.